Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, brought to you by Strawberry Cottage Landscapes, improving outdoor spaces around Carlisle and the North Lakes with fencing, decking, turf, paving, and marquee hire. Also by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech more understandable. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Tirumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It's going great, Spanners. How about yourself? Yeah, it's going fine. Just enjoying a hot, hot Father's Day. So I'd just like to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, the good ones, and as well to the single mums. You do twice the work, you get an extra day as well. That sounds very correct of you. But interestingly, it's also Father's Day over here. No way. What did you get? I got some homemade scones. It was very exciting. My dad used to always say to me, don't make a fuss. I just want a box of Maltesers, so I know you've remembered. So I've passed that tradition on to my kids as well. And I've said to them, look, guys, I don't want you to make a fuss. I just want a box of Maltesers and a bottle of whiskey, so I know you've remembered. I added a bit for flair. Ooh, nice. Is there, a, is there a cost on the whiskey? Is there like a minimum floor that it has to be before it's acceptable? It's got to be a single malt. Done. And also, when they give me my Maltesers, I'm reminded of my dear old pa. So happy Father's Day as well to the people who no longer have their fathers with them. But hey, when I get my Maltesers, I get to remember him. And the remembered never die. This week, we answer your questions to Matthew Summerfield that I have received via email and Slack. We talk tyres, updates, aero and hybrid technology and much, much more. This is the best F1 tech discussion anywhere on the internet. Tech time with Summers F1. Tell me if I'm wrong. We are an independent Formula One podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
this show is safe for work. We keep it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We can't answer the questions on our own, can we, Matt? No. No, indeed we cannot. It's a privilege and an honour to know Mr. Matthew Summerfield of Motorsport.com. How's it going, Summers? It's good. Apart from I'm melting a bit like you, Spanners. Every time you talk, I'm going to put on this huge industrial cooling unit to the left of me. Obviously, I can't do that while we're recording. Summers, I owe you. You may have helped my career. Why is that then? Because my boss, big F1 fan, uh, I haven't told him about the stuff I do here, but we always talk about Formula One. I don't know how it would go down if I told him that, you know, sometimes the reason I'm tired on a Monday morning is because I've been sitting in my shed editing a Formula One podcast. But he's a very well-read guy and he reads the tech stuff and he knows of you. Uh, so I told him I knew you. And the other day, do you remember when I was asking you about AeroWake? Yes, I certainly do. That wasn't just, uh, you know, out of muddling interest. Uh, we were talking about that, me and my boss. And I said, hey, do you know what? I know Matthew Summerfield. I'm going to I'm going to message him. And I'll message him that question. And you just so happened to answer blindingly quickly. And I just looked like a legend. I looked hooked in. <laughs> oh, well, well, at least I'm good for some things, Ace Banners. Honestly, mate, you have, you have enriched my F1 life massively. Matt, should we go on to some news? Yeah, like Le Mans, maybe? That's not F1, Matthew. Yes, it is. Seriously, it is. You really just give want, me a chance. You want to talk about Le Mans, seriously? Seriously, I do. No. And, and really, if you give me a chance, I promise you, I can prove that it's definitely related to F1 in some fundamental ways that Liberty ought to be paying attention to. Now, right. I don't know how much of the race you watched last night. Uh, some. I watched maybe a total of an hour. But you might have noticed that every single one of the LMP1 class cars broke. Yeah, and that is not a good advert for hybrid technology. No, really, it's not. And it, But what was interesting to me and why I think there's a connection is that certain people who have been on the show before have been complaining vociferously about this MGU technology, about its weight, its expense, and its, well, for lack of a better word, finickiness. Yeah, exactly. So the winner of the race was the one that could be repaired quickest. So there was one that could be repaired in half an hour and one that could be repaired in an hour. So that's what it came down to. The quickest spanner monkeys won. Yeah, but that's partially what uh, Le Mans has been about for decades. So um, going back to hybridization, though, I, I do feel that it is a massive part of uh, where LMP1 has got to now, um, especially in terms of the fact that we saw the lap record smashed. And without hybridization, I don't believe that would have happened, uh, especially because of the, the way that they're, they're able to put this power down now. Yes, and by Kobayashi, who I think happened to drive an F1 car for a while, no? Uh, he certainly did, along with a lot of drivers that are currently uh, driving world endurance cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was another thing, too, and it's been rumored in recent days that Porsche might be thinking of also leaving the LMP1 field because of costs. And the cost of development in LMP1 has skyrocketed. And again, this is a thing that we see Formula One struggling with. But interestingly, they proposed some new regulations to attract a new manufacturer, who is an old manufacturer, Peugeot. And one of them, I think, interests you, Mr. Sommerfeld. Well, yeah, it's partially to do with um, Moval Bolero, something that I've been kind of suggesting that Formula One might want to follow um, down the line, just purely because of the way they would help in, in terms of cost saving and also um, produce some, some better racing, perhaps, for some of the back markers, let's put it. 
Yeah, yes, indeed. And it could also help a lot with reducing costs and some of the issues with with following as well, if I'm not entirely mistaken about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a development program, isn't it, at the end of the day? So we're going to see some disparity between the teams, whatever happens. Uh, but I do think movable aero is a way of changing the wake structure and you know, enabling overtaking and closer racing. So linked to that, we did ask people on Twitter if they had questions for you, Summers. Have you got an Ask Summers F1 hashtag? If not, we should definitely start it. But they emailed me at spannersready at gmail.com. Thank you very much. I love hearing from you guys over email. It's a question from Matthew Graff. He says, likely won't be able to make the live stream. Wait, what? What do you have better to do on a Sunday night than watch sweaty men talking about F1 in darkened rooms on YouTube? His question is, uh, WEC is likely allowing movable aero ostensibly to reduce the need for bespoke aero kits for individual tracks. Could F1 go a similar route? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, if time allows, perhaps Summers could give an update on Braun's work to understand F1 aero. Last I heard, he's busy putting together a team and maybe purchasing the Mana Wind Tunnel model. Anything new? And then some other stuff. But he says, keep up the great work. That's the important bit. We will. And by we, I mean, I bring other people on to keep up the work. Summers, movable aero. Okay, yeah. Well, as I've just said, I've championed movable aero in some form for, for quite some time, just purely down to the fact that I believe it might help with the closer racing, overtaking um, and a reduction in costs. But that isn't the only way to go about it. We could have a homologation of um, kits, let's say, um, in order to reduce the costs. And that way you stabilise the amount of updates that can be brought to the cars at specific Grand Prix. That might be a, a soft way into moving on to a movable aero for, for Formula One, in, in, that, in my opinion anyway. Um, and, it, and in terms of Braun and his working group, um, well, there's not really much been going on aside from the appointment of Jason Somerville, who used to work at for, at uh, Williams, um, and he has been brought on as head of aero. Um, so he's going to be looking into and researching the, the aero side of things with Braun um, and, and another raft of uh, people that he's also looking to bring on as well. Oh, thank you for answering that question in a succinct and informative way. And I know you're excited about this, Banners, but I'm not done yet. Right. So do you happen? Did you happen to catch the start? This would be my question. No, I caught I watched mainly towards the end. Yes. And do you happen to know then you don't? So I will tell you that a certain Chase Carey was the official starter. I saw that for, on the news, though. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And it is absolutely a new thing for Formula One. Yeah. Can you imagine Bernie doing that? I, I don't think he could get like the flag up high enough to that would. Oh, really? A short joke here in this company? Unbelievable. Okay, look, I wonder... It has to be short because you insisted we not use much time for this discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, on the live stream, I do put my picture slightly higher, you know. Okay. Stood, up, stood on a box. Stood on a box. Uh, I wonder how long it's going to be before we stop, you know, comparing it to... Well, can you imagine Bernie doing that? Mm, not anytime soon, I would guess. It's always good for a clickbait article, right? Oh, yeah. Carry on. So. Come on, then. Tell me more things about your tin tops before we can talk about Formula One tech. Uh, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And I bring this one up solely to satisfy your immense and swollen ego, Mr. Spanners. Yes. 
that Panos showed up with an all-electric WEC vehicle that featured, are you ready? Yep. Swappable batteries. Get in. That is the future. Swappable batteries for race cars. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah, tell me more. And what's more, that the swapping of said batteries is meant to take roughly the same amount of time as the refueling of current petrol-driven race cars. And they may yet take advantage of the uh, experimental garage and run the thing in a proper 24-hour race. Okay, so for those of you who don't watch the Formula E broadcasts, obviously you need to pay attention because eventually one day, I think Formula One, you might find that Formula One is an electric series before we, uh, before we all toddle off to the grave. But I've said in Formula E, using two cars is not the way forward. It doesn't allow for much strategy. They're limited to basically a few laps uh, where they can come in and out. They're restricted by the fact they have to spend a certain amount of time getting in and out of the car for safety. So having swappable batteries means you could have a heavier battery, for example, with more charge. Uh, There's just so much more you can do when you can just whip the power cells in and out. Uh, It makes for better racing. Indeed, and that might wind up being a solution for Formula E, which is getting rid of its two cars in Season 5, but still wishing to retain its pit stop to have an effect on strategy. Okay, so I've got one more question uh, related to this. Go on there, Matt. Uh, No, go ahead. Ask your question first. I only have one more thing I wanted to add. Okay, that's fine. It's uh, from Sam Harper, actually from our Slack group, saying maybe someone would bring an i4. I don't know what that means. Uh, Why can't we unrestrict the hybrid side? Constraining deployment and maximum charge seems a bit backwards if we want to push forward with this tech. So is he saying that in F1 we could be doing more with the hybrid side, but they're deliberately restricting it? Yes, basically. Um, And that's the energy deployment from the energy recovery system. Um, and going back to your, I don't know what an I four is, spanners. It's an inline four cylinder. Oh so, right, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, V six I four, and it was actually what the regulations were supposed to be back in twenty thirteen. So uh, it was Ferrari who actually blocked that move. They wanted something a, a bit more substantial and, and opted for the V six instead. So can we see a future where they just? unleash this i mean i think when they unleash it then that's going to be really the beginning of the end of petrol almost this will be you know the slow march towards having fully electric race cars um i don't think that that's on the horizon immediately um by moving to i4 um as i say it was supposed to be bought in a a few years back anyway and only really ferrari was was wanting to stop that as me and matt have discussed in the past parametric regulations are actually the way forward in that respect allowing balance of power uh, based on the the type of power unit that you're using and whether you're using more uh, energy recovery more fuel the different cylinder capacity there's there's plenty of scope um, to, to create that kind of engineering challenge Indeed. And and for me, at least, that would bring back some of the fun of the older days where you would see uh, V10s and V12s and V8s all on track at the same time. But more to the point, it would let manufacturers build to their strengths because the Renault was very much behind the i4 and they were forced to move to a V6 configuration, which wasn't their wheelhouse. And, and they've struggled. How much better would it be if engine manufacturers could go with their strengths and add the add the ERS systems 
and use them as they as best worked with what they had, then we would see a real a proper battle of ideas, whereas now it's somewhat constrained to an artificial playing field. Yeah, and that's kind of where World Endurance has has the march on Formula One in that respect, uh, because you, over the past few years, we have seen a divergence in, in the way that uh, power units have been used, whether it be diesel, petrol, different types of energy recovery system. So, yeah, I, I do think that there's a scope for Formula One to learn a lesson as such. Indeed. And last of all, and although I know this is a family show, I do have a confession to make. Back in the day when I was when I was young, if you were an old man, your favorite hobby was to wander outside and to yell at clouds. But as I have discovered these days as an old man, my favorite hobby is to wander into Twitter and to yell at various things. And I was incredibly uh, unhappy with the performance of the formula, the, the WEC website, as far as its video went. And, and with the app, I had some real troubles with it. And I complained on Twitter is because, you know, like everybody's got to have a hobby, right? And I received an interesting tweet that they'd actually suffered cyber attacks on their broadcast of the race. And I'm thinking now, although it seems like a golden future, having over-the-top distribution of Formula One through an app and online over the internet, I'm suddenly thinking that they're probably going to have to be looking at some other issues carefully before they move that direction. Wow, that would be a great segment for This Week in Tech. Shall we move on to the big dirty news? (laughs) Very well, then. Big Dirty News Yeah, we'll talk about some Formula One, if it pleases your honour. Gosh darn this American. Who will rid me of this American and allow us to talk about the things I want to talk about? Basically, not tyres or WEC. So let's talk about Mercedes and their vulnerabilities, Summers. Yeah, well, obviously, everybody's bringing up the the problems that Mercedes have faced and the the challenge that they've got against Ferrari this season. Um, So I thought I'd just cover a few aspects of where Mercedes may have dropped the ball, let's say. Um, one of which is obviously down to the fact that we have we know of the uh, banning of the trick suspension systems that the FIA introduced at the start of the season, or should I say Charlie Whiting clarified to the teams. Um, and, and that's had quite a drastic effect on Mercedes because they had the most advanced version of this suspension system. Um, and that also then has an impact on their development plan. So obviously they'll have to make changes to the the way in which that they're going to develop their car this season. That will have a massive impact. Chat room was massively distracting me there, Summers. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're weaknesses. Uh, when we were doing our preview show, uh, how much we were talking about, sorry, we were talking about the temperature and how it affects them because Ferrari and Mercedes seem to react to temperature very, very differently. Uh, and I think I might have got it the wrong way around on that preview show, Matt. But basically, when it's hot, Mercedes struggle. Except for the temperature went up in Montreal and suddenly Lewis was completely on it in a way that Mercedes didn't anticipate. And this was a subject of a interesting uh, chat that, that Vortex and I had about in that instance, because the setup was very similar. It, I had thought that the reason he did well at Montreal was just more down to how he uses tires in general, i.e. how he puts energy into them relative to Botas. And we've seen divergent outcomes where they've had similar setups before and But I didn't mean for that to substitute for basically Mercedes still don't quite understand how the tires are working 
with their car. Is that right, Summers? Yeah, pretty much. And it's down to some of the kinematic problems as well that we they're faced with the, the loss of that hydraulic heave damper suspension. Um, so it changes the way that the car behaves. Um, they also, as you both mentioned about temperature, um, there's two things to, to consider. There's temperature of the power unit, which is controlled effectively by airspeed and obviously the the components and the way they're cooled so in montreal they had a different specification um, in terms of the cooling to what they would have had in monaco um, to cope with those cooling demands and that may have suited the car better under those circumstances okay related we have a listener question from p Wright. i want to know why merc ended up using an open brake disc thing love it I thought the closed one was supposed to help keep the brakes at a more constant temperature. And this is a big point of concern for Mercedes. I think it seems to be their philosophy. They run it very, very fine with cooling in general. Uh, So how much does the the brake discs uh, have a part in that? Okay, so what um, P. Wright's actually going on about here is the drum. So usually you would find uh, that Mercedes run with a closed drum. And when the temperatures exceed a certain point, they'll then move onwards to an open drum. Now, in Montreal, we saw them use that that particular type. And it's the thermal interaction between um, the... <laughs> Is that the Mrs. Thermal... Summerfield? Can you just please it, it, say to it, her it, that Spanner says thank you for letting Matt come out and play? <laughs> Go on, do it. You're being, you're being thanked for letting me come out to play. Um <laughs> Yeah, so so it's the thermal interaction between the brakes, the uh, wheel rims themselves, and the tyres, the core temperature of the tyre, so that they have a very um, close interaction in terms of the way that the temperature operates. So at different circuits, they run different configurations, and obviously in Montreal, Mercedes decided that they wanted to evacuate more heat to control that temperature, and that's why they didn't run the closed brake drum. Excellent. Trumpets. Yeah, I do have a question about that. The, the it, Usually it's the top of the brake drum that is open when they run that configuration. Now, normally when the brake drum is closed, most of that heat is evacuated. Is that evacuated through the blown axle or is it just going directly backwards but around the the wheel? Okay, so the, the top open section on the on the drum, that is to control how the heat is dissipated. So the section on which the wheel rim receives the heat so it's where the heat generates into the wheel rim and then onwards to the the, the core of the the tire itself. Mercedes don't actually run a blown um, axle either. They they run a standard axle. Um, Ferrari do run the blown axle, but that's all to do with an aero side of things. That that doesn't have an impact per se on 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 temperatures. Right. Well, it was just curious that they had suddenly better performance when it was hot, when the top of that drum was open. And I was curious about where the heat might, the thermal energy they were generating might be heading to and how that might be affecting the play between the surface of the tire and the carcass of the tire, which I know I've heard you reference before being behind, particularly in Monaco, what you thought some of their troubles were. Yeah. So so basically, obviously, there's a, there's a small gap between the actual brake drum, the disc and the wheel rim itself. So it doesn't matter whether you have the sort of closed drum or the open drum, there will always be a way of that airflow escaping in some or the heat escaping. It's where it escapes. Now, with the open version, it will just evacuate the, the airflow and the heat straight out the side of the wheel rim. Um, 
and changes the, the thermal interaction that it has with the wheel rim and the, and the tyre itself, changing the performance window and the way in which that the tyres operate. As we know, Pirelli's tyres are exceedingly difficult to get into the operating window. Summers, thanks for allowing all these uh, questions to come in. Obviously, it's much easier to talk about this stuff with prior planning and preparation. But what better preparation could you have than being the assistant technical analyst at motorsport.com? How is everything going over there? Yeah, going great. Um, obviously, working with Giorgio Piola, that that's a fantastic thing, a, a legend of the, the my side of the sport, basically. So, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be working with Giorgio and, and everybody over at Motorsport. Do you do what I do with your line manager? Do you go, well, I can just ask uh, Giorgio Piola? Um, sometimes, not all the time. It depends on, on what I'm looking for. If it's something from inside the paddock, then obviously, yeah, he's the one that does the traveling to the Grand Prix. I'm the home support. So yeah, if it's something that I need from within, then he'll, he'll get a, a WhatsApp message from me. <laughs> wow. So basically he's your summers. Uh, that's amazing. So, um, we have got a question here from Peter Goodchild and his subject line was question for scarbs. But which he very quickly then replied and apologised. But look, that's the kind of exalted person you're being mistaken for these days, Summers. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not complaining. He says, love the shows. Here's my question. How have F1 cars become so heavy? They used to be more than 100 kilograms lighter. The weight difference can't all be down to the hybrid tech. Keep up the good work from Peter. Uh, well, my immediate response to that would be, it is the hybrid tech, isn't it? The majority of it is, yes. Um, but there's a ratio that people tend to forget about as well, and it's the fact of what's a dry weight and what's a race weight. So at the start of the race, the the cars are actually fairly similar in, in, in terms of what they would have weighed. But as the fuel burns off, obviously the V8s would have consumed more fuel. So the weight comes off quicker uh-huh. and then the, the weight of the actual car becomes a, a major consideration. So, yeah, weight is a major in, issue in Formula One and, and it's something that needs to be really looked at. Um, something that unfortunately might actually creep up again when we get some kind of head protection come into play as well. Okay, very interesting. So basically, we started off this little conversation talking about, you know, circuit specific stuff. And we know that Mercedes are probably going to be more confident in certain races than others. Ferrari, obviously, gathering momentum. So looking ahead, we've got Baku, which is a strange mix of big, long straights, then 90 degree corners, then very, very tight, twisty street circuit sections. Uh, and after that, we have Hungary, which is kind of like a go-kart track, you know, then into really the heart of the European season, high power, Silverstone, or then we'll, I forget whether we get Germany or not this year. Uh, what do you see for the next few races then? Who do you see being in the ascendancy? Say Mercedes, please. Well, I'd like to say Mercedes, I really want to see the battle. Unfortunately, we, we haven't really seen the battle on track yet. You know, for for all of the the fact that Ferrari are actually mixing it with Mercedes this year, we haven't actually seen Vettel and Hamilton really go toe to toe for any length of time, and that's what's kind of frustrating about the whole thing. Um, so, ideally, as a fan, I'd like to see the pair of them kind of duke it out. We had a glimpse of it, didn't we, in Barcelona? Just that little moment where we saw Lewis Hamilton is just ruthless around the outside and Sebastian Vettel equally ruthless and actually repeated a trick Lewis Hamilton loves doing, which is just leaving his competitor hanging on the outside of the track. I don't think either of those boys are shy 
at all. Neither of those boys are polite. They're ruthless behind the wheel. So yeah, would absolutely love to see that. But where are we most likely to see that kind of battle then coming up? Um, well, the, the problem is, is it's is it racing or are we looking for overtaking? Because that that's the that's the difference this year with Formula One, isn't it? You know, we're we're talking about very close racing this year, and that's what people are starting to really enjoy about Formula One. Oh again. yeah, and we can have that really really close racing. But again, like you say, let's see the actual fisticuffs between Hamilton and Vettel because that will what that is what will make this season explode and blow up if one of them takes the other out it's going to be because they're all just so nice to each other oh he's such a great champion oh he's such a worthy champion nah come on let's let's see some proper wheel-to-wheel contact and then we'll see the amount of respect they really have for each other i'm I'm really looking forward to the baku actually um just purely on the basis of the gp2 race last year um and and let's call it f2 now sorry um and the way in which that we might see the battle at um come again come about with ferrari and mercedes because of the way their two cars work very differently so yeah that, that's kind of why i'm looking forward to baku so matthew graff in the chat room just wants to make clear that baku does indeed welcome us all baja says when it comes to racing vettel doesn't stand a chance lewis would destroy vettel at every time rj bone says they can't stay close without the second car washing out I've got a question on that later. Hannah Hassel says, well done, Baku. And uh, and I would like to personally say about Baku, everything's fine. Right. So uh, am I the only one who watched the actual race last year? I mean, was not Hamilton disastrous? He was, was terrible. Mercedes well, yes. less than on its A game. And how will the utter lack of data from that particular circuit play into their already difficult to set up car? Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I just wanted to say, sorry, first of all, the race, something weird happened with the electronics, uh, so I'm willing to give him a pass on that. But in practice and in qualifying, Lewis was absolutely nowhere, and I'm really hoping that was the setup of the car rather than just his inability to do this track. Yeah, and I'd I'd go with the same, to be honest. I think we had a situation last year where something just didn't gel for Hamilton all race weekend. Um, I'm hoping that he he might be on it a bit more for for this particular race. and yeah, I think certain parts of the track will play into certain aspects of each manufacturer's um, setups for that particular race. Uh, so we might see a closer battle. Well, hopefully anyway. Baha again says, Matthew Trumpets, you wash your mouth out. Lewis was fast. Yeah, he's right. Uh, Joshua Clare says, Baku was utterly boring last year. It really was, though. How can we have any hope that it's going to be any better this year? Well, I think you have to just look at the GP2 race and, and see how different that was and, and hope that for some strange reason that everybody just didn't do what they were supposed to do in the F1 race uh, and hope that we, we have a better race this year. Which, I don't know, I look back at Monaco and their lack of understanding. And I guess, you know, I would love to see that close race. Uh, I would love to see Ferrari and Mercedes both on it, which we were also kind of denied in Montreal. But... I remain vaguely skeptical until they tell me they understand why the car is doing what it's doing. And to me, it's like, uh, I guess we'll see. Well, isn't it strange as well that uh, Paul Hembry came out in defense of Vettel and the amount of tire testing that he did for Pirelli um, during last season, based on a few articles, including one of my own that got released (laughs) on, on said subject. Ooh, ooh, hang on. I, I think I have some tinfoil around here somewhere. I can hear it rustling around, Trumpets. 
Othnell in the chat room says, wrong spanners. In practice, Lewis was the fastest in every session. It was quali where he went off the boil. And go off the boil he did. He kept out breaking himself. And eventually, he sort of oversteered. No, that's not the right word. He turned in too early, didn't he? And ended up taking out his front right suspension through the castle section. All right. Are we ready to move on? Let's move on. Oh, what amazing subject do we have next to talk about? Oh, no, it's tyres. Right, I'm turning my fan on. You two talk about tyres. All right, so the question is from Rur Haggis in the, in, the, in the Slack chat. Don't know how to word this question, but given that F1 tyres are wider, why are the cars finding it harder to get grip compared to 2016? Are the dynamics of the tyre causing more trouble than expected? Yeah, so it's the natural behaviour of a different type of tyre um, in terms of the construction of the tyres. So the construction is very different in order to make it behave differently when, when we're looking at thermal degradation versus the type of tyre that we have uh, this season. Um, the deformation of the tyre, change the change of the structure of the tyre whilst the, the car is operating also has an impact on the way the suspension operates. So, yeah, it's it's down to the fact that the teams are having to relearn something, basically. They're having to work out how best to operate the tyre um, and how to bring it into its window more effectively, something that obviously Ferrari have kind of dominated up until this point. Right. So what is this story? Because I thought I would think that being able to better resist thermal degradation would make the tires easier to use. But that's not really the case, is it? No, because they still have an operating window. So if we take a quick glance at them, the ultra soft is uh, an 85 to 115 degree up to the uh, hard tire, which is totally irrelevant. And let's just put it in the bin at 115 to 145 degrees. So anywhere in between those tires have a different operating window and you have to get the car to behave in a certain way in order to optimize uh, the, the working range of the tire and obviously get the performance from them. Certain cars might work better on certain tires, for example, because they have a low working range or a high working range. Yeah, and then the characteristics of the asphalt of the circuit will also play into that as well, correct? It will, yeah, because obviously that will put temperature into the compound. You have to think that there's two 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 elements to a tyre to, to understand how it works, and that's the actual core structure of the tyre and the compound, and they operate at two separate temperatures. So the core temperature is what we're looking at in terms of the operating temperature, but the compound itself will change uh, based on the way that the the, the, the compound reacts so you'll have perhaps it more sliding because it starts to grain and that can be because the temperature is too high in the core or you've got the, the temperature too low so it's, it's a balancing act and there's no wonder that they still call it the black art yeah well i can understand that especially after watching le mans and seeing more than a few tires go kaboom even michelin tires i will just say it for those people who always like to beat pirelli with the your product is no good it seemed like to me watching the endurance race that the, the, that it was a little more, I don't know, it seems like tires played a little more of an issue than normal, but maybe that's just me. We have to remember uh, temperatures in Le Mans was at, at quite high as well. Um, so again, we're talking about operating temperatures and the way that changes the behavior of the tire. That then changes the behavior of the car and the way it moves around on the track. And it sort of a t- it becomes a tipping point because you get to a point where the car then becomes unstable um and yeah that just detracts from performance i've actually got a question about tire wars for you it came on twitter i have forgotten 
who said it to me. But just before that, I'd like to plug the live stream. It's a really lively, active place. Uh, reading that is very, very distracting, but I absolutely love them being there. Why don't you go to YouTube and search Missed Apex Podcast? Click subscribe on there, and then there's a little bell icon. If you click that bell, you'll get a notification every time we go live. Now, we did get a bit of a hmm, criticism for saying we're not very good at scheduling our shows, and that's fair. We we are getting better and better at that, I think. But generally, we go for Sunday at 8 p.m. Bank holidays are an exception. And also, when the race is late, we'll go a little bit late as well. I'm with Joe Saywood, for example, this week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. And I think that may become a semi-regular slot. So when he comes on, I think that'll be a good time for him to come on. And then me and Matt tend to do our betting preview on Thursday, now before the race. But also what I wanted to say is, if you go to MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash live stream, so click the live stream tab, there's now a Skype call button. You press that button, and if you have the Skype app on your phone, you will come through to the podcast call, uh, and if it's the right appropriate time, we will accept that. And you can come and say hello on the actual live stream. So, Summers, would you like to see a tyre war with independent tyre manufacturers? I think the biggest problem with a tyre war is cost, because it always leads to one team having a very close relationship with that tyre manufacturer. We've seen it in with the Ferrari and Bridgestone years, you know, and that's my biggest problem with a tyre war, unless we're talking, say, three or four manufacturers all at once, then it might stand a chance of actually working. Um, but otherwise, I see it causing a little bit of an issue in terms of the teams and the way that the performance operates. Or again, you could have a set cost for providing tires and anybody who wishes to put offer a tender could be accepted by any team. Yeah, there, there is that alternative as well, obviously. Um, but most people, when they talk about a tire war, are, are talking about an unlimited spending war. That's where it always comes down to. Oh. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, you want something, but you've got to pay for it. You know, it's um, you can't have it always up. Um, if you want a tire war, then it's going to cost you a lot of money. If you don't want a tire war and you want some kind of cost implication, then, yeah, you, you might get a watered down version of it. Right. And contradicting Spanner's stated approach that tires are automatically boring, we have multiple tire questions for you in the chat room. Uh, first of which would be uh, there are temp monitors for the tire carcass, but is the actual temperature of the nitrogen in the tires monitored as well? They'll monitor as anything as closely as possible. Um, so, yes, they will have as many measurements as they possibly can in terms of the, the temperature within side, within the within the, the tire itself following up on that is tire temp the real dice roll or the tires effect on the arrow well again that that's that's another problem that we we have because the way in which that the arrow works because the tires behave differently has changed and so that means that their te- the team's understanding has changed and this uh, apparently is one of the problems that red bull has faced they didn't quite actually understand how the tires were operating in their wind tunnel correctly and they've had problems with correlation as well as this problem that's caused them uh, no end of issue uh, and we're now starting to see them make some changes to 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 rectify that situation all right and one more which is why are martin and co which i'm taking to mean sky saying mercedes has unstable aero and they would like very much to blame it on the tires um unstable aero i don't believe that is a true statement um it's a philosophical philosophy thing. You have to remember that since Mercedes came back into the, the sport in 2010, they've followed a very similar philosophy, and that's a very low rake attitude. Um, the likes of Red Bull have always run a re- very high rake attitude, and Ferrari have started to go down that pathway now as well. And it and it's something that's built within the car, you know, and that has an impact on the way that the aero works. Now, yeah, I can say that they might have some instability because of the problems that they're facing with the suspension banning. But aside from that, I wouldn't say it's a, an unstable aero philosophy. Hannah says, uh, tire talk continues. Spanners continues to get more and more drunk. How dare you correctly assume that? And Paul Wright saying, is that gin in your whiskey spanners? No, that is an equal measure of ice water because that's the correct way. Uh, anyway, why don't we move on? Oh, we've got a question from the podcasting shed from a spanners ready. Are you, are you able to take that one? Are you Summers? I guess so. Okay, I, so I don't see any reason why not. So here's my question then. It's about aero. Oh no, where does the aero come from? And this is the one me and my boss were talking about. Uh, I thought, and I guess incorrectly, now that all the problem with the wake coming off of the cars that stops people being able to follow and overtake all came off the super complicated front wings. Uh, so you you said this was actually a, a common misconception. Uh, misconception. Yeah, maybe uh, it is right. a misconception. <laughs> 
Um, purely because, yes, the front wings are very complex and, yes, they do cause instability. But the reason that we have that problem is when Formula One decided to reduce downforce dramatically, they reduced the ratio from which the the downforce came. So, obviously, the rear end of the car became less stable. So, in order to stabilise that, the front wing became more complex. You create these vortices that help to seal off certain parts of the car. and, and move aero around and make the diffuser work harder. So now that we have um, the 2017 cars with a bigger diffuser, that ratio can start to slide back and we haven't seen much development in front wings this season because of it. Would one of those vortices be the Y250 vortice? Everyone drink! <laughs> it would be a Y250 vortex, yes. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. So the follow-up question we had then on that was, Basically, if all the disruption is coming from the diffuser, then that means that when everyone's always talking about ground effect being the magic bullet for more downforce and closer racing, surely then that means that with ground effect, you'd actually get more disruption coming from the diffuser. Well, no, that's, again, slightly misconceived because the way that the diffuser works is it upwashes the the airflow so that it interacts with the rear wing. And what you end up with is you almost end up with a void created uh, behind the, the rear of the car now obviously when you talk about a void behind a car you would expect them to be able to slipstream a car but that isn't quite the correct with the way that formula one aero works unfortunately so the problem that you have is unless you have a spec series in my personal opinion air, ground effect air, aero isn't the way forward because of the way that the, the car can be developed around the ground effect uh, even when Formula, ha- Formula One had ground effects, there, there wasn't any kind of parity and teams just disappeared into the distance that had it compared to teams that hadn't got the development of it. So ground effect for me is not the way forward unless it's very well researched. And obviously that's where Ross Braun's technical working group is going to come into play. Can you ever see a time where they just say, look, enough's enough. We're far too reliant on aerodynamics in Formula One. We've just got to scale it back to the point that say, all right, you're only allowed a flat plank on the front wing well you could take away the front wing entirely if you're wanting to go to ground effect you know you could you could make it a a full-blown ground effect car just like we had in the 70s for argument's sake and then you kind of get rid of some of the problems that everybody keeps talking about with the front wing but i still think there'll be problems inherently with the way that car design is in formula one and having unlimited design and it goes back to perhaps having movable aero or homologation packages to be honest, I'm fed up with people taking us back to the 70s right now. Yeah, well, and again, this this comes back to something that I, I may have mentioned before, but it just seems like to me beyond obvious that what you do is you put load sensors on your front and rear axle and you go out and run the car at 250 kilometers an hour and say, okay, we will accept a maximum number of pounds or kilos of downforce at that speed. And if you exceed it, then you're you're kicked out of the race. And that way, once you reach that efficient arrow optimum arrow you're done because you can't add more downforce to the car why spend money on it yeah and then then it becomes an efficiency race because you'll then start to trade off downforce for drag and and so on and so forth for every particular track it could make the minutiae even worse in in some respects especially for the smaller teams that can't find those very finite details and that's what it's all about in Formula One at the end of the day. It's all about those very tiny details that, that make it the difference between a Mercedes and a Sauber. Michael Howlin in the chat room, which, by the way, I want to call the chat room the shed. Let's see if that sticks. Michael Howlin in the shed says, let's bring back fan cars. 
Well, I, I've I've actually postulated that in the past to clear tracks. You know, when we have a really wet circuit, let's have a fan car to blow <laughs> the water everywhere. <laughs> uh, oh, Joshua Clare in the in the shed says, "Let them use adaptive suspension, and that will counter the wash." Again, that's something that's been talked about um, from Ross in terms of the fact that they may look at active suspension um, and bringing it back. But again, it's where do you draw the line? Do you have a specification um, version of active suspension? And inherently, you could solve some of the overtaking problems that you have with active suspension because you could reduce the amount of wash um, by manipulating the suspension settings. I was just going to make the very obvious joke that the reason we don't have a fan car to clear the track is because Montoya would then drive into it and catch it on fire. (laughs) All right, boys, this has all been fun and games, but let's get into uh, all the more darker and depressing subject. Basically, the headline is McLaren say stuff Sound irritated. Honda shrug the shoulders, go, mm, it's okay. Worked when we had it, and we gave it to you. We haven't touched it since then. No, look, when it arrived, it wasn't working. Well, none of my business. Did you shake it? Did you transport it properly? Did you drop it off the forklift? Worked on our dyno, mate. I think that time has run out for the relationship between McLaren and Honda, Summers, and it might be time for McLaren to move on. Yeah, well, it seems that they want to press control, alt and delete on that partnership. Um, and, and they're kind of handed a, a, a bit of grace because of the Sauber situation. Had Sauber not signed with Honda, then this whole situation might be a li- little bit different. But now that obviously we have Sauber and Honda for next season, um, it does give the opportunity for Honda to say, well, go and take a sabbatical, go back to Mercedes, um, go and work with them for a year and then come back to us even when we've got a power unit that works. Um, but it, it's a bit of a messy divorce, if you ask me. Yeah, it's really bad news. So where are they going to go next? Well, obviously, the, there is talk of the the fact that they will go back to Mercedes for 2018. Um, but as I posted on, on a blog post recently, um, it's a massive upheaval to move power unit manufacturers. They've already been through it once themselves. They actually understand how difficult it can be to move. They move from Mercedes to Honda within the hybrid era. And it's a huge upheaval in terms of the way that it will affect this year's development progress, next year's development progress, how much money they have to throw at it, and how much money that they'll lose from Honda in effect as well. So right off the bat, what you're saying is them saying the decision will be made in September is just going to be bunk for all of those above stated reasons. They already know what they're planning to do. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a car next year. Basically, yeah, because the whole car now is so instrumentally built around the the power unit. And there's so many decisions that have to be made to the layouts in terms of the way that the the cooling, etc. is produced on the car. So, yeah, I just they already know. At this point, those decisions have been made, whether they're staying with Honda or moving back to Mercedes. All right, let's get a question in. First of all, Ray Parker in the shed. I like it. Says McLaren Peugeot is coming. Uh, And we have a question from the Slack group from Luminosity as well. But just quickly, Summers, your blog was posted on your actual blog page, which is summersf1.co.uk. Are you actually keeping that thing up and running now? occasionally i've got a little bit more free time at the moment for some reason um to do with the way in which i work but i can't put i can't put a a, a finger on why (laughs) 
Fair enough then, fair enough. And now let's catch up with Matt as well. Uh, Matt, at MattPT55, what are you pushing these days? Well, as always, I'm pushing my wife's novels, which, you know, do help keep me in the shed. So go buy them and read them, or even better yet, give them to your significant other and let them read them while you're in the shed with us. And I, I may be working on a project that might require funding. So stay tuned. I will let you know. Oh, that is a real teaser. Now I want to know. You can't like tease stuff you haven't even told me about. Well, as, as, as it looks, I will be having an excess of free time coming next fall. Oh, dear. And, and, and indeed, it, it may be that I have already been working with uh, some of my musical friends to put an actual album together. Oh, wow. Get out of here. Fantastic. Now, musician making an album. Who could have seen that coming? Well, if you need vocals, you know that we have a TV star here in my house. Uh, my wife was rich- recently on Pitch Battle on BBC as part of App Vocally Bespoke. Obviously, she brought shame on the family by being knocked out in the first round. But, you know, if you need a vocalist, let us know. I'll, I'll drag her into the shed in front of the mic. And see here, I thought she achieved uh, TV immortality for the face she pulled when they criticized her harmonies. It was amazing. Will Young criticized. They said something about the tightness of the heart. I don't understand music anyway. But uh, Nicholas, a, a professional musician, and knew, knew full well that the comment was just flat out wrong. And the way they edited it just cut straight to Nicola with just like this face of thunder i feared for will young's life uh, anyway whilst we're quickly talking about books i've also got an audio book coming out uh, don't worry i'll tell you about it soon it was written by kyle robert schultz called the beast of tales End, and it's narrated by me being very silly with some silly voices let's get to a question from nick who is luminosity 871 in the chat room this is something i've wondered about as well would it be possible to put a different engine in the mclaren this season how would an f car oh that he asked three questions there so how would it be to put basically change engines mid-season i think this is what everyone would kind of want to know it's basically how much of it is the engine and how much work is integration if they just said no if there was no contract issues right now and they could just get a mercedes lump could they stick it in no no simple as that integration is the key um yeah, I suppose you could bolt it in and see what happened, but a bit like Braun did um, in 2009. Um, but it, it, I don't think we'd have the same kind of uh, situation we had with Braun. Uh, these power units are so complicated that um, it would make it life very, very difficult for, for uh, McLaren to be able to achieve something like that midway through the season. Yeah, so it's integration with the engine supplier as well, which leads to a question from Felix, who is, I believe, Swedish or Dutch, who knows? They're all the same. I was wondering about works status. It is most likely the works team will have the best package because their understanding of the parts is obviously better. How could we go about changing the importance of a works team status, resulting in a more equal field? So could they do standardization of practices, customer bonuses, other incentives uh, like that? So because integration is so crucial, Summers, the teams that don't have it, are at a significant disadvantage. There's got to be more to it than aero to say why Mercedes are faster than Force India, why Force, uh, why Mercedes are faster than Williams. Yeah, but th- this is an argument that I've been having for a very long time. Um, I don't understand Force India and Williams um, to, to some degree because Mercedes have been using a charge cooler system, which is a, a far better way of integrating uh, the cooling package uh, for since the 2014 season when the hybrid season uh, 
setup began. Um, yet Force India and Williams have never even entertained that side of things. They still run a standard air-to-air intercooler on one side of the car and a, and a radiator on the other side of the car. Um, so in its own right, that is one thing that is going to determine the fact that thermally they will run at different temperatures. And that obviously allows Mercedes to be able to run uh, their their full power at, for longer periods of time. Um, so yeah, obviously there are ways in which that you can stabilize things. But when it comes to a customer having their own ideas about how to do things, they will always take those options because of A, cost, or B, because they feel it will give them more performance. Right. And so I've just noted from the chat room the interesting question that Renault have said that next year they are going with an all-new concept for their power unit. Do we have any concerns about this? Um, well, if you take Honda as that platform, then yes, perhaps we should have some concerns. Um, but Renault tend to know what they're doing. Um, they're not too far behind. And I would have to hasten to say that they may be switching to the split turbo co- configuration that was so obvious um, that prior to the regulations, um, well, prior to the, the, the 2014 season going about, you know, there was plenty of us around in the tech circles that actually suggested that the split turbine was the way to go. Um, and obviously, you still had the likes of Honda and Renault that didn't go down that route. It, it did make a, a perfect sense to go down that that particular route in ter- terms of packaging and sizing of the components, in my opinion. I don't know. Spanners is doing sit-ups right now. Burst. Oh, hang on. I've still got my fan on. See, you've caught me by surprise. That is my air conditioning. That's keeping me alive. Hang on. Oh, that wasn't very professional for the live stream at all, was it? Okay, do you want to go to the any other business section you've got laid out for us in the notes, Summers? Yeah, so let's have a look well, at Well, hang a on a minute. Teams. I've got to do the bumper ah. and then I've got to waffle for 30 seconds. People know the score. Music, then plug something. Come on, it's all about me, really. Follow me at Spanners Ready, please. Make sure you check out the website, www.mistapexpodcast.com. And I would urge you to subscribe to the podcast on your feed. So don't just wait for the social media post to come up and to click on it and then play it from your phone. Go to your podcatcher, whatever you listen to podcasts on, iTunes or something like on Android, I could recommend Pocket Cast, which I use. And then you can subscribe to the show and make sure you get it delivered to you every single week without fail. And then you'll never miss an episode of Missed Apex Podcast. Follow on Twitter at Missed Apex F1 to get details on the pin tweet of how to subscribe and our RSS feed. Okay, Summers, now you may continue with your interesting tech news. Thanks for the inverted commas there, Spanners. You could have got away with that. They couldn't they couldn't hear that. They couldn't couldn't hear that. I couldn't see it. Um, yeah, so basically just wanted to touch on uh, Red Bull and the fact that uh, they've uh, had a bit of a, an issue in terms of what they've been talking about with their power unit and saying that uh, Renault were going to bring them a big update and it was supposed to be scheduled for Canada and it never sh- showed up. And we're still looking at the fact that it might never show up. In fact, we're now talking about 2018 instead um, in terms of having an update for the power unit or a major update, should we say. And I'm going to guess that Red Bull won't be exactly happy about that. And just as a speculation, I mean, is this down to we saw like a brief Nissan experiment in, in Le Mans last year? It seems like to me Carlos Gozen, who is in charge of all of that stuff, 
is not the hugest fan of uh, fan of throwing immense amounts of cash at racing at the moment. And are are we on the verge of seeing a Red Bull own solution or something of the like? I think we'd have to wait a little longer for Red Bull to come up with their own solution. I, I would s- certainly see them having their own solution come 2020 and sharing it between uh, the, the two teams that they operate. And I think the interesting thing in terms of um, budget and Renault is the fact that obviously they have other sporting interests or motorsport interests. And there is talk that uh, the Formula E team, which is currently branded as Renault, may actually be moved across the Nissan Alliance um, and branded as a Nissan car in order to shuffle some of the budget back to Enstone and Viri in order to help with the Formula One team. So it's just a way of repackaging how you spend your sponsorship money, I suppose, in terms of uh, the, the Nissan and Renault Alliance. Quickly then, explain that to me, because obviously um, Alan Prost has big links to Renault and he runs the Formula E team. So how would that affect that relationship, do you think? Well, I don't think it would affect it in as much as that we're talking about a sponsorship package. Uh-huh. Um, it's what the team are run under. It's the naming rights, essentially. So obviously in Formula E, they are known as Renault Edams. And I believe that there is talk that they're going to shift that to Nissan. Um, how that actually pans out, I don't know. It's all to do with the financial aspect of it, though, and how they proportion the budget for the Formula One team as well. It's about being able to proportion more budget to the Formula One team so they can be more successful there as well. All right. What else we got? Okay, so back to Red Bull. And um, they had some updates at the last Grand Prix, finally. Um, <laughs> and they were very McLaren-esque. Um, some of the, the some of the items there are, are things that we have seen from Adrian Newey in the past um, uh, have reappeared, um, and they're things that we've seen Peter Prodromo use over at McLaren. So, sort of the side pod update that they didn't actually run in the Grand Prix, but used as a correla- correlation exercise, were things that we've seen from Red Bull. Uh, a few years ago whether they'll be seen again later in the season i don't i'm not actually sure at the moment but i think it's a a standpoint of adrian having an influence again over the car so he's decided to stick his oar in again could it be that canada's not really the right place to see the full impact of that kind of upgrade so they just yeah yeah potentially um, I think we may see some of those parts later down the line again um, as they experiment with them at different circuits can you see a race win for Red Bull at any point in this season? You know, not one where everyone takes everyone out, but, you know, a genuine race win. I honestly can't, aside from attrition, um, just purely because they don't have the full package. Um, they're, they're struggling in terms of power and they don't have the aero capability that we expected them to this season. Uh, we expected them to be mighty. And unfortunately, they've had issues in terms of uh, understanding the, the tyres and the correlation with the wind tunnel and CFD and how that operates on the track. What about then so, their baby car, their baby brother, Toro the, Rosso? The, the, Tor- the Toro Rosso, yeah. Um an interesting car as usual it's a very solid machine um and and there's several bits on there that have been copied by other teams again this season um one of the things that i've noted that most teams now have is a slot in the floor um just alongside the side pod and it's all about moving air out around the car um and and improving the performance of the floor now again something that Toro Rosso decided to introduce and other teams have copied and that just goes to show what you can actually do on a limited budget if you understand the, how to operate in the regulations. All right, help me understand here, because if you look at those two cars, you could be forgiven for thinking they have a very, very close relationship. So why do Toro Rosso have much, much less of a budget? And why do they seem to have much, much less of 
you know, the overall package and overall pace, you would think that if they had any kind of relationship, they would kind of, you know, sneak information over to the Toro Rosso garage. Well, they're not allowed to do that, unfortunately. Well, there's not they allowed have, and there's not allowed, isn't there? They, they do have to operate as separate teams um, in terms of the way that the, the sporting and technical regulations are written. Uh, the, there's only certain areas of the car that are list, classed as listed parts that can actually be used uh, by the, the same, t- sorry, by other manufacturers um, of the same part. Yeah. So that that list has obviously changed over the years. But the reason when Toro Rosso actually were bought uh, was that the fact that they thought that they could do this. They thought they could make uh, parts that could be shared and ah, effectively. Interesting. That, that they ran a year old car for, for a number of years until such a point that everybody realized what was happening um, and decided to get rid of that uh, in the regulations. And that's where the listed parts, et cetera, started to come into play. Sure. But if you've got, you know, your 3D printer set up to make a specific aero part or a front wing part, I'd be very surprised if that didn't find its way over the dark internet over to the Toro Rosso garage. It just feels like they could do more. And if they can't do it, is it really worthwhile for them to have a team that has been intermittent in performance at best? Yeah, but you have to remember the type of driver program that, that Toro Rosso have as well, um, or Red Bull in, in its entirety. Oh, Everybody yeah. that's... You know, they're they're all junior drivers that move on to the Red Bull team. You know, the the current lineup have already driven Toro Rosso cars um, in in a previous year. So, you know, that's part and parcel. They're they're looking to develop talents and move them up the ranks. And and that's how they they, they kind of get away with the fact that they've now got two teams. Although I would admit if they actually got a decent offer for that Toro Rosso team, I wouldn't be surprised if they did sell it. Okay, well, let's look at a much smarter relationship between two teams where they're not shy to put their personnel and put them in there for the minimum amount of times that they can. So it's Haas and Ferrari. So do they still have strong links or has that gone by the wayside? Because they're doing better than any other new team that has joined Formula One in the last decade or so. Yeah, well, that obviously had a massive step up in terms of the relationship that was garnered with Ferrari. And they're still buying a lot of parts from Ferrari in terms of the um, power unit and powertrain uh, suspension componentry. Um, But obviously they do design their own car and they've had to go out and get a lot of engineers that they didn't have previously. So I'm very impressed with what Haas have been able to do in terms of the way that they've come to the grid and been able to sustain a challenge but I fear that they're going to be locked into the sort of this monotonous midfield battle for a protracted period of time. And I can't see them actually being able to rein it in towards the top end of the grid. So Mr. Claire in the shed says Ferrari need to run a second team under Alfa Romeo branding to bring in drivers from their young driver academy. Would that make a big difference? They can't do that with Haas? Well, they, they could do. They could form an, a, a partnership with Haas in that respect, but it would operate in the same way as Toro Rosso from a technical framework point of view. There's only a limited amount that can actually be done. So from an aero surface point of view, the two cars have to differentiate. There can't be anything because it's IP. So you won't see a, a Ferrari four cars on the grid. They will share similarities. The Haas car shares similarities because it, obviously there were people that moved within that field from Ferrari to Haas for argument's sake. But you can't actually see four identical cars, let's say. All right, Trumpets, let's do one more mini topic simply because I am cooking. I am actually cooking here in the podcasting oven. 
All right, then. You want to do one more? Maybe we should talk about Williams then. Ooh, yes. The team that can just about get into the points with their second driver if 17 cars in front of him crash out and said driver tiptoes around the track, not really taking any risks whatsoever, and then they celebrate it like it's a race victory. That Williams. Yeah, and did you hear about Paddy Lowe? Apparently yes. he almost headed to the podium because it was that much of a victory for them. Well, look, let's say that Lance Stroll is a genuinely likeable kid and within the team they like him and they understand that they're getting significant financial support from him and it's not been going that well this season. Collectively, perhaps they were really all just egging him on to shut the critics up and to score some points and to do well. And for them, a point finish... Really, that was the aim. That was the key. So you can understand almost like a collective sense of relief from Williams that, you know, the egg on their face might be temporarily washed off with gravity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That that was a year of support. I feel it sounded like it wasn't, but I feel it was a year of support. Yeah, but they're getting some new parts. There's some new design philosophy coming in. And we were already talking about Ferrari moving engineers to Haas. Well, let's face it. Patty was at Mercedes for the last two years. He knows everything they're doing, and he's got the same engine. How long is it really going to be before Williams turn up with something that's going to frighten the pants off the Force Indias of the world? Well, I think the biggest problem that we've got is the fact that we've come into a new era again in 2017 in terms of the way that the cars operate and the way they perform from an aero point of view. And Williams, unfortunately, lost um, Pat Simmons. Now, obviously, as the chief technical officer of Williams, he, he, he was lost at a very instrumental point. Now, they also lost Jason Somerville, who works who worked as the chief aerodynamicist. So to lose those two key personnel at such a key time in the season would, must have had an impact. Now, they have replaced them with good people. Don't don't get me wrong. Paddy Lowe's come in um, and he's operating almost as team principal, let's say. Um, and we've also, they've also taken on board Dirk De Beer, who used to work at Ferrari as an aerodynamicist underneath James Allison. So, you know, there is some transfer of staff and I, I think it will just take time uh, unfortunately, all, everything tended to happen all at the wrong time for Williams for this season. So the shed is getting pretty active here. Felix says, imagine Williams getting rid of Maldonado. And they're like, gosh, never again. And then Stroll comes along. Uh, Ray Parker says, Canada might have been the confidence boost. Strolly needs to start actually racing. Joshua Clare, Lance Stroll needs to trim his eyebrows to reduce air resistance. That's body shaming. I'm not down with that. Blackout 19, with Stroll's money, I'm sure he can get them to modify the tracks so they are like on the PlayStation. I cannot believe he started talking about his PlayStation practice. Unbelievable. Get that boy a PR agent. And uh, Evangelos Etarokalaitos just quickly asks, if two teams came up with identical parts by coincidence, does one of them have to change? Um, well, I think the FIA would be asking questions as to why they came up with those parts. We've seen where teams have naturally followed the same sort of development pathway. In as much as you look at what Peter Prodromo does with uh, McLaren and the way that Red Bull are set up. But yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a dodgy area to, to be copying one another, let's say. Shed's asking, where is Alison? We don't think we've seen him since he moved to Mercedes. Alison is at Mercedes and he has been at the, the Grand Prix. I, I've uh, seen him uh, out and about in, in the paddock, etc. So he is there, he is operating um, and he is working with Mercedes. Summers, absolutely fantastic tech insight. I'll say it again. Challenge me 
when I say that this is the best Formula One tech chat on the internet anywhere. Tell me I'm wrong. But boys, I think we do need to wrap this up. So I'll nag you for all the usual things. Subscribe to us on your podcatcher. Make sure you find us on YouTube. Follow me at Spanners Ready. Matt at MattPT55. Summers at SummersF1. The show at MissedApexF1. And also, if you want to support us, there are a couple of ways in which you can do this. A, tell everyone. Tell people you know. Tell your boss. Don't be like me. Don't hide the fact that you are into an F1 podcast called Missed Apex uh, from your boss so that you can use it as a font of knowledge to impress him with. Uh, no, tell everyone. Don't be like Spanners. Tell everyone that this adds to your F1 fandom. Or two, you can actually give us real money. If you support content creators on Patreon, then please consider supporting us. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click Patreon on the menu tab there. We're looking for contributions of like $1, $2 a week. It adds up so quickly you would not believe and we are able to churn out much more content much more quality content and spend more time on the show because of that so uh where are we going now do we have a comment of the week matthew Ooh, we've got lots of potential contenders i will read through them until you tell me to shut up and pick an answer already okay Um, starting with michael I'm Irish. Alcohol is practically family, which is paired with good our, our own Hannah Hassel saying just very, very drunk. I think possibly uh, relating to you there, Spanners. <laughs> uh, Joshua Claire comes in with McLaren have the technical know-how to build their own engines. They just don't have the money. Ooh, harsh. No, that's not true. Oh, yeah, no, I suppose it is. No, they do make stuff, though, don't they, McLaren? They are an engineering firm, just not necessarily enough to make their own engine. Right. And along the lines of the weather, uh, Forsaken says Spanners will be dead by the end of the show, yet he soldiers on. Valiant. And Christopher Fonseca chimed in, yeah, can we please stop talking about hot breaks in this weather? I'll tell you what, it would have killed a lesser man. You're lucky you got me. And then uh, you put in one, also from Forsaken, who must be in the running now. Spanners, why does Matt vex me so? Who will rid me of this darn American? I don't know. Speaking of darn Americans, Mr. Fonsek again chimed in with, careful, if you yell enough on Twitter, you could become president. Okay, who's the winner of comment of the week, Matt? Well, hang on a second. Let me get all the way up. And I think it's going to have to be Anna Hassel for her double comment, not tires, don't trust you lot, and tires. Comment of the week. Well, that's the first or second time Hannah has one comment of the week. Congratulations, guys. Stay tuned to the Missed Apex feed. Coming up this Tuesday, I will be talking to Joe Saywood. You know him. He's an F1 journalist in the paddock and everything. And he's going to be chatting to me in the shed at 7 p.m. UK time on Tuesday. Then on Thursday, Matt and I, late at night, something like 9.30, are going to talk for half an hour about where we think you should put your bets for the European Grand Prix, and that is in partnership with our friends Sportsbook Review. They're a great American site that let you be smart and research your betting. In fact, I think they say they've been making betters better since 1997. Uh, until you see us next, just remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Tech Time.
Do you know what? I found the tyre talk to be interesting, riveting, engaging. I, I could not keep my attention away from the tyre talk. I think it's time we end this. Spanners is not interested in tyres. Lie. It's a lie. It's fake news. I think it's just the heat. It is. Yeah, I'm delirious. Like, oh, yeah, tyres are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so hot. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.